and welcome to the 26th show of our second season. I'm Dana. And I'm Jim. Today we're chatting with Brandon of Peekskill Brewery and Jason of Craft Beer Guild. But first, beer. So I am going to turn this over to you right now. Uh, just to kind of go through Who is you? Uh, the first, uh, Brandon. <laughs> you had to introduce yourself to everybody so, out there. So I'm, uh, my name is Brandon Cruz. I run sales and marketing for Peekskill, but I also help run the events for the actual brewery itself and also the front of the house experience. So kind of work with the beer training of the staff, help run the mat, run the floor, help uh, oversee the management as well. So I kind of have my hands in a lot of different things. Uh, uh, I've been Shit. with the brewery. <laughs> uh, well, I've been with the brewery now for about nine years. Okay. So I've seen it from uh, original brewer Neil to when Jeff, before he started Industrial Arts, I worked with underneath Matt before he went to Threes, wow. and I've worked for a meet uh, Ron for the past uh, two and a half years. So that was, that's kind of like brings me up to the present yeah. day now. Uh, we have Doug who is taking over the brewing. He was a meets assistant for a long time, so now I'm kind of helping him uh, fill in that role in terms of like the logistics, kind of what's needed for distribution and also what's needed for in-house brewing. So we're kind of working together to help uh, Doug, since he already makes great beer, just kind of do the logistics aspect of it as well. So you're so, busy all the time. I'm busy all the time, but I also feel that it's um, where I'm always moving around to what's needed at that time. So it doesn't feel that way because okay. I still run about the same hours, but some days it's about doing staff training all day. The next day, maybe going down to Queens. I need to go seeing accounts or meeting up with the rep and or sometimes just helping clean kegs with Doug if he needs a hand in the brewery. Okay. Um, I think that the company values me as somebody that's very um, diverse in terms of what they can provide. So I believe the brewery kind of leans on me for that as much as they can. Nice. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks for having us today. Yeah, wow. no problem. Glad yeah. you're here. You are the man. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, so let's start with our first beer. Then sure. we'll get more into conversation. Sure. We got first. So you have, first you have our skills pills. So Skills Pills uh, is a, new, a unique beer for us because in the beginning, when we started brewing this beer as a year-round Pilsner, we actually uh, purposely changed the recipe every time we would release it. One time we even did it as a black lager just for fun. Like wow. We wanted Skills Pills to be uh, like a, a beer that you don't expect to be the same every time, but then as years went on, you kind of perfect a recipe. And um, when Amit wanted to expand our distribution, he wanted to make sure Skills Pills was highlighted um, in a proper way. Okay. Lagers for him were very dear to his heart. He's from Israel and uh, drank a lot of lagers before he became a brewer. And he wanted to make sure that if we're, we're seen as an IPA brewery, but uh, our lager, I think, stands up with all the best ones in New York State. Yeah, really uh, it actually won um, last year's uh, the New York State Craft Beer Competition gold medal in the Pilsner category, Pilsner lager category. Um, it's a little hop, little yeah, hop. Yeah, there's definitely a little hop characteristic yeah. to it, a little Czech style. Um, they use uh, a little hop varietal just to kind of give it a little punch, but they want this to be our easy drinking beer. So uh, what we were finding is uh, when we first opened, it was a lot of education almost 10 years ago. It was a lot of IPA education for this town in, this, in northern New York. And then once that kind of got saturated and become like every, now everybody's an IPA drinker, yeah. it took a lot of sour knowledge and giving a lot of people like to understand what we do with sour beers. Yeah. When it came to the lagers, 
people would come in and we needed a go-to beer that was just always crisp, easy drinking for the average Joe. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we provided something that could stand up to that, but also is a good representation of what we value in terms of beer drinking. Beautiful. Awesome. Jason. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so this you. is unique for us because we've never talked about distribution on the show before. So you yeah. work for Craft Beer Guild. Yep. You're a distributor. What does that mean to the listener? Why are, why are you guys important? Why do they need you as a brewery? So it's it's an interesting system. Legally, we're yeah. required. Yeah. So that's kind of a big deal. So I'll, <laughs> I'll rest my laurels on uh, prohibition in the federal government. But, uh, in, <clears throat> even in that sense, it helps... Uh, breweries hit markets that maybe they couldn't hit before. Right. So like Brandon was saying, when he's going down to Queens and he's seeing accounts and he's touching base with buyers who are very important to Peekskill and their brewing operations and, and sort of the outreach they want to do into the market, we can provide a little bit extra depth that uh, Brandon probably just doesn't have time for. Because you have a team for him of people to help out. Right. Well, yeah. because we definitely lean on them a lot to spread the word. And then when they, uh, we try to give them the best tools possible to you know, make a permanent line or get us into specific spots. And a lot of times they'll reach out to me specifically like, hey, do you mind going in and saying what's up to these guys? Or do you mind dropping the sample off yourself and chit-chatting with the buyer for a little bit to kind of get a little bit of that perso personal touch? Um, but really, uh, I, I, as a, somebody that's in charge of sales, I definitely, when we do specialty releases or something like that, I like to get these guys a heads up because it's not just about giving them the core beers to push. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of like, hey, you have somebody that's been taking care of you. Maybe it's not even with Peak Skill brand. Maybe they buy it sporadically, but you want to give them something like cool that's nice. coming out. I yeah. want to make sure that the rep is happy as well as the buyer. So if that means me sending down a six dollar voyager which we don't distribute mm -hmm. uh, for an account that's really craving it yeah i'd, I'd love to make that happen nice. not just for the buyer but for the rep also that's awesome yeah. yeah and then that helps empower my reps in the market too yeah. to just you know be more uh just cutting edge more approachable to just the kind of constantly changing and evolving yes yeah uh just market market <laughs> that we that we're in and yeah. uh we cover from Yonkers uh, and Mount Vernon down in the Bronx, pretty much all the way up to the Canadian border. Yeah. We go as far west as Lake Placid. So, uh, you know, there's lines up in Plattsburgh and in Lake wow. Placid and Queensbury of, of Peekskill. Wow. And Brandon does not have to go to Plattsburgh <laughs> to get that line. That's so. nice. That's nice. I will if so. I need to, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think it's ski it's, season. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I would too. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it is interesting though because as we're such a small place, we're, we're technically actually a brew pub by license. So like we're capped at a certain amount of beer we can produce, okay. but we're seen as a very large brew pub, but a very small brewery. So for us, I try to wrap our staff's heads around that yeah. too, because sometimes they'll, you know, if a couple beers kick over a long weekend, they're like, oh, we only have... 12 beers available instead of 14. And I'm like, most breweries have like eight. Right. So like yeah, the fact right. that we have as many beers on draft internally as we do, plus what we distribute, four core beers is not an easy thing to manage. And a lot of times it takes a lot of um, maneuvering on our end. You know, our head, our head brewer and owner always like to talk about uh, adjusting a ship if you need to adjust the course. So the smaller the ship, the easier adjustment. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're not this massive place, if they decide, hey, you know what, we're right now the uh, sour beer in the middle of winter isn't moving as much. We don't necessarily need another 40 kegs of that. 
we are able to move into another direction that maybe can hit a market that's needed at that time. So I think that helps us by being diverse, but also it's, um, it's something that we always have to communicate with our reps and kind of gauge our numbers on what we're brewing and when we're brewing it uh, because it, the market changes so much. So yeah. you have conversation, you and the brewer have conversations with Jason directly on kind of what is ready to go out for distribution. Like if, if it's, it's something not, if, new, yes, we have like brand managers. Okay. So, um, so like Molly for Craft Beer Guild would be our brand manager. A lot of times we'll have a conversation directly with Molly, okay. and then Molly will let the masses know, or like you know, Jason will come, or Pat Ford that works for Craft Beer will like reach out to me. Hey, what's coming down? I want to let my team know. Okay. So I try to feel out them. I'm like, well, like how much of this do you want? And I think that I think doing that allows one the beer to go uh, into inventory and out in a proper way, and allows the consumer to get the beer as fresh as possible. Especially for anybody in craft beer guilds portfolio, you're getting beer turned around within days. While a lot of times beer needs to be transferred from up here down to the city, gets gets keyed in, then gets you know there's a little little bit of a delay when it gets down to the city, but up here it kind of go seamless. So I think that um, it's, it, for us, it works well to communicate with CBG because it's going to eventually come down to the city, but we get a good pulse off of what they have, of what they need. Yes, for sure. I mean, the, the real beauty, too, of working super closely with a small brewery like, like Peekskill that's, you know, can pivot quickly based on market trends or something like that is that if my myself or my guys are in the market and they see a trend that's kind of just like just growing and yeah. just burgeoning, we can turn a peak skill and say, hey, I think this could be really, yeah. really huge. Can we can we kind of tap into this market? That's what we did last year with uh, Wishlist yeah, for so Oktoberfest. Our Oktoberfest last year, like Phenomenal we always year. made an Oktoberfest, mm-hmm. but it was something we never really tried to pump into the market because I'll be honest, like certain beers just do not move as well as others. Yeah. This is how it is. So uh, when they tell us like, hey, we're gonna, like we want a Oktoberfest, we're down to make it, but we have to rely on their team to help move it if we're gonna drop, like do a bigger drop of it. And most of the time when it's communicated in the right way, uh, their team is behind it. Like before we even have the beer ready or brewed, they're already talking about it with people. So as soon as it comes in, we have a good number of that already to move out as soon as it hits inventory, which is invaluable to us. Like again, because a lot of times we'll sell out of something at, in the brew pub and our staff will look at me and be like, oh, why do we have to give up so much of Hidden Track, our fruited sour beer? And I'm like, well, you know, it has to work. I want to make sure that the reps are happy too. I don't want to give them a small amount where they're kind of leave somebody out that they that values our brand and then they feel slighted. Yeah. So we're constantly playing this back and forth with what's needed in the market and what's needed in the brew pub. And I think that our our head brewers, our assistant brewer and our head brewer kind of do a good job of gauging the internal um, flow of the beer and I work with the reps to see what's going on externally. So are you able to pre-sell something like in case of the Oktoberfest? Yeah. And they're coming to you and saying, this is what we need. You're saying, okay, but you guys have to put this out. They come back and say, well, I have these five accounts. I definitely want it already. Oh, yeah, 100%. And then the I, yeah, 100%. And I'll put it into my pre-sale list. And mm-hmm. once we ship that day, I will input the pre-sale. And then everything gets allocated the very next day. So next. the following week, we ship on a Thursday. Potentially, you could have it in your bar on a, on a Monday. It's tapped at our brewery on that Friday. And you're literally getting the freshest beer possible yeah. made right down the That's road. That's amazing. Who wouldn't oh. want that? Oh, it's, it's great. Especially, you know, I know, um, yeah, it's just something that 
we have we take pride in and whenever there's any hesitancy towards like oh you know i'm not sure if this is when was this keg i'm like it's impossible for any beer to necessarily be old because of right. the location and how small we're giving them batches so it moves in and out right. you know we're right. not giving them 100 kegs of one beer yeah. letting it sit for months and months we're doing smaller drops to make sure the beer stays fresh a lot of craft beer patrons don't realize all of the stuff that has to go on behind the scenes to have that cold frosty one in front of them yeah absolutely. from a, a brewing standpoint your inventory management behind the scenes you guys distributing yep. it all yep. there's a lot of uh moving cogs the buyer the buyer takes a big onus on yep. when they get in are they over buying and is that keg sitting in their walk-in for a month before they even tap it and then they tap it and, and then it's like and they oh, complain to you guys yeah. something's wrong with your beer like nah man how long you been having it sit outside your walk-in you put it in the walk-in well that's always i would say that the brewers the brewers in ownership always like to go that route first and then you know but for me it really is irrelevant to me personally i'm just like hey if you're at all unhappy with if, if it's you think it's foamy or tastes notes or whatever, I tell the reps 98% of the time they reach out like, hey, so-and-so has a question about this beer. I'm like, hey, you know what? Just switch it out for a fresh one. It's wow. not, to me, it's like the bottom line isn't as important as keeping that relationship. Yeah. If that means switching out of Valley Life because it's not hazy enough for what they saw in the last batch, it could be sediment, all these things. I'm like, no, just switch it out. I know the beer tastes great, and I know the rep's like, hey, but you know, it tastes great, and I'm like, just switch it out. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to convince somebody to like keep something on, or you know, I'm just like, I'd rather just have them be happy with the product they're serving. Yeah, I mean, that first impression of, of a beer, too, is so integral yes. to a buyer. Yes. I mean, every one of us have had a beer that everyone thinks is the best beer in the world, and we were kind of unimpressed yes. with it for one reason or another, and it could be a million different factors that led to that, but the reality is that keeping the beer fresh and to what the brewers want in right. people's hands and what we want in buyers' lines yes. yeah. is is huge because we don't get the rebuys, we don't continue our, our regular business with somebody if they don't like the beer. Right. And so working with, with guys like Peakscale to maintain freshness and just like the quality of product in the market is yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when Dana would come home after working at Manhattan Beer and she lost a couple of lines that day to some like crap beer and she would just be pissed off at night. And I would not be like, oh, let's switch that. Like, nah, what'd you do? <laughs> that's, but that's what I want. Yeah. That's what I, it's like, it's like, I hate to use this reference, but it's kind of like what's going on with the Oakland Raiders, right? It's like, it's like I could be John Gruder, like, hey, man, you, whatever you need, I got you. I'm your guy. Then I need somebody in the back end to be like, let me check your lines and make sure this is going. That you know, me. that's, yeah, that's, and that's great. And, that, and that's where, like, you know, for us, because we're such a small place, I, I don't have, like, a team of salesmen underneath me or anything like that. It's, it's important to have them kind of vouch for us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had an incident recently where uh, a buyer was – just questioning, like, hey, I don't know if this was the same that I had last time, or the, without even asking the rep, went to the location, tried the beer themselves, to let me know of their concern. It was like, I already went there, I tried it, it tastes just as good as it was at your brewery. Like, like I think that if anything, he may just need to clean his lines. And I think that when it comes from them instead of me, I think that helps our relationship. Yeah. And I also, and to me, I, I, I'm proud of that. I'm like, awesome, thank you for doing yeah. that. Because with yeah. all the things I have on my plate, yeah. for me not like uh, for me not to have to deal with that, it's it's really important. It's awesome. 
Let's move to beer number two. Sure. Oh, nice. What do we got? So beer number two is kind of a brewery favorite. Uh, we don't brew it often. We brew it about once a year at most oh, wow. twice. This is one this of my is favorites. A, so this is Amazeballs Pale Ale. So Amazeballs Pale Ale is an all-galaxy hot pale ale. Um, super juicy, really clean, really refreshing. The um, I think the lore originally with uh, this beer was actually at an old location, which we were at uh, right down the street for uh, five years prior to here. Um, that was one of the last beers we made there that was very successful. Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot to do with the branding. The beer is awesome, hands down, uh, but I think people really love the name Amazeballs, the can packaging, when we do can and packaging, it's this beautiful pink label with this black text. It just looks very uh, appealing on the shelf. So I think people, for our brewery, that's the one beer that gets mentioned all the time. Like, hey, when are you coming out with the maize balls again? When can I get a maize balls? So right now we decided to put it on draft so we could kind of spread it to the masses as much as we can and keep our brew pub special. But um, even we even comes to the point that I don't let them do crowler fills of it oh, wow. because my intention is when we make certain beers to make sure when somebody walks through the door, we have yeah, it for as yeah. many people as possible. Okay. And even that being said, it is moving at a ridiculous rate where it's about to sell out in the next couple of weeks after this huge batch we made. But I try to let my staff know, like, this is why I didn't let yeah. you do crowlers. I know you'll get that one guy that came from so far away that's so mad about it. And I'm like, hey, if anybody's really drove from D.C. on their way to Maine <laughs> and is so obsessed with this beer, give them a crowler. Yeah, yeah. Give them a crowler. But I think that it's like you make these rules and you let to, you help, you hope that your staff has enough common sense to bend these rules when need be. Yeah. So I do a hard fast like maize balls, no crowlers. But if somebody's really giving you a hard time and really losing their minds off, just give them the crowler. It's not worth them walking out the doors having a bad experience. Right. But I think most people get why we do what we do and um, and we have a million other beers available for crowlers we have packaging to go 16 ounce cans they have plenty of package they could take with them it's just when they came in and they got to have amaze balls we want to make sure the person behind them gets to have the same chance you mentioned the old location yes why did you move and when did you move uh, so we uh, let's see we're on our 11th year so we started in 2008 um, rough estimate, I think we left that place around 2013. Okay. And uh, it, it was just the simple facts of it being too small. Okay. Um, like I said, we're originally, a, we are a brew pub, so when the owners, uh, Keith, Kara, and Morgan, uh, like Keith and Kara are husband and wife, and Morgan is uh, the owner, Keith's sister, when they started the place, they wanted to have this awesome restaurant that made a small amount of beer that were made special on the premises oh, wow. to kind of give it a unique, um, atmosphere, especially for down here. Uh, 10, year, 10, 11 years ago, Peekskill was not what it is today. Mm -hmm. And they actually got a little pushback from people in the beer community being like, I don't know if that's the best area to start brewing. We're right on the Hudson River. Yeah. The owners grew up in the area. They wanted to do something for the community. And when we started brewing, we're on a five barrel system. Um, Neil, who is the owner of Defiant Brewing, was, a, was the original, one of the original owner, uh, original brewers. And once he kind of started pumping out beer, we were at max maybe five beers at a time, four beers at a time of ours. The rest was consisted of uh, guest drafts mm -hmm. and bottle, a huge bottle list. Well, I think that 
which was cool for me when I first came in because I I lived in Boston. I knew about craft beer. I dabbled in it, you know. But for me, my craft beer at the time was like Magic Hat Number Nine, right? You know. Yeah. So, but throughout that time, I remember the first beer that really opened my eyes was actually Ithaca's uh, Cascazilla because they handed me this beer that was dark red and looked super malty. And when I tried it, it was anything but. And I was like, this is delicious. And it just showed me that perception of beer isn't the same as like what you're visually seeing to what you're tasting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I was geared to drink out of bottles and cans. We're not really analyzing the beer, so to speak. And uh, once I started going through all these different drafts and these different bottles, it kind of expanded by like, I guess, uh, portfolio of beers. Right. But, um, but it wasn't sustainable in terms of the space and it was just way too small. We are beer. That, uh, we Neil was always like kind of like an intern brewer, uh, kind of just coming in, making a couple batches, going back to Defiant, and then we got Jeff from Ithaca Brewing Company, coincidentally to come and uh, be our head brewer. And once he took over, it was kind of like a game changer a little bit for our brand. It focused way more on the beer, and not that the food quality wasn't as important because it is, but uh, the volume we were seeing, we had no choice but to expand not only what we were brewing, but actually the restaurant itself. We were turning away tons of people that wanted to come and dine and drink with us. Really? And, wow. Um, and that was one thing that we were like, all right, we need to expand. I, uh, when we brought Jeff on, the intention was to expand. Mm-hmm. He and the, and the owners kind of designed the brewery we have today, and now he's with Industrial Arch, which is awesome. But he left us in a good place where everybody that's kind of stepped into the role has either been an assistant brewer underneath somebody. It's kind of this lineage of like awesome brewers that have grown since we've opened, which I always like try to emphasize to people that are new here. I'm like, I get it. Even if you don't work in the brewery and you work in the front of the house, we're not the largest place in the world. I know a lot of our staff though, when they have the experience from here and they go on somewhere else, they always crush it. Like, like you know, even one of our bartenders now is one of the highest rep, one of the best-selling reps for Manhattan, oh, wow. you know, and this is constantly being flown around to different areas and different parts of the country and all that. Like, I love seeing that. You know, one of uh, our bartenders was a bar back, actually, left here, and now is one of the head bartenders at, um, at uh, what's it, Sunny Boy down in the city and all these other establishments, these rooftop bars and stuff, and it gives me that sense of pride That's because amazing. I know yeah. he got like you know his feet underneath him here and was able to go somewhere else and really excel and that makes me super proud because it feels like our teaching our education we focus on here um is something that benefits us but it benefits the person itself and when they leave here i always hope that no matter how they leave whether it's to go to a new job or a new career whatever that they've grown as a person from working at this establishment that's awesome because so many brewers or bars in general don't really teach their staff. There's nothing worse than going to a place, especially if you know anything about beer, being excited like all the time about this beer. Like, I don't know, it's all right, it's good. Yeah. But what's good about it? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we have this, we have this, I have this mentality with the staff where it's about like, first of all, beers and what it used to be in terms of even pricing. Ingredients yes. go up, everybody's ingredients go up, cost goes up, every like this is the fact of what like, taxes go up. So I always try to remind them, like when somebody sits at your bar, like yeah, you can do all these things, like the food can be great, the beer can be great, but you as a server, you giving 
that experience. Think about the experience to the pint you're giving them and then remove it from there. Like, if you're pouring a beer, are you generally checking the glass to make sure it's spotless? Yes. Are you giving proper education when they're, when they're looking at their menu? Are you talking about the selling points we want you to hit? Are you, when you drop it off, are you giving a nice coaster? Are you giving them a side of water? Nice. Like, it just can't be, you know, plop, like taking, like, what do you need? Taking a beer order, right. pouring it, like dropping it on them. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, if you constantly, if that's your mentality as a server, a waitress, a bartender, whoever, it's going to reflect on the customer that maybe this isn't as valued as it should be. It's like the reason why things are priced is because of where we are, of like the quality of beer being made and the experience we provide. If you're not hitting it on all of those cylinders, then you know, yeah, the customer can potentially leave without having the optimal experience. And I think that uh, our servers try to always keep that in the forefront of their minds. Yeah. So they're doing the small things right that will translate to the big things, yes. the obvious things. The kid's food, the burger's gonna be great. The beer's gonna be great. There's no reason why somebody should ever walk in and leave without having an awesome experience. If it, they do, it, it'll always fall on one of the other aspects of the establishment. Yeah, awesome. Let's do number three, please. Sure. These are amazing. So number three is a brand new beer that we just released last week. Uh, this is the first time, so like Doug, who has taken over for a meet, um, this is his first specialty release. Uh, he's always been making the cores and specialty beers for the past year or so with the meat. But Voyager is his own recipe, his uh, you know, new name, the whole nine. And Voyager is a, a hazy pale ale made with uh, Nelson Savin and Denali hops. What I like about this beer is one, we don't get to use Nelson Savin as often as we want because it's harder to get. But we used to make a few beers um, at the old location with this hop. And now that we had it back, I was happy that he took this hop. We don't get that often and made something awesome with it. He really wanted to give some show people that like, hey, I'm going to keep bringing the noise and keep giving you guys yeah. like awesome beers. And uh, Voyager, um, I think, does that. Um, right now, this, I, this is one that we're not distributing because it's like, again, it's one of the special beers that I think people, when they come through the door, I want to be able to put a pint in their hands. So um, we're trying to hold off on spreading it to the masses yeah. and try to keep it here for the brew pub. Who's, in, who's involved in naming the beers? Ah, that's a good question. The, it's kind of a committee. Um, so me and the head, me the head brewer and the owner Keith, uh, who kind of runs the kind of he's so to speak the general manager as well. We'll sit down and kind of think about our brand mapping. And uh, for us, we're an explorer brand. Our parking lot's full of hikers, bikers going to uh, the Bear Mountain, walking like hiking the around the area, taking the train up, just want to walk around the riverfront, whatever. We get a lot of that Friday through Sunday, 100%. Like it's about to be noon soon and we'll start bikers will start lining up here dropping their bicycles coming in so we um trying to think of the way to say it so when we uh whenever we pro provide things for these types of groups or the explorer brands and we're thinking of our naming we want to make sure it's something that can catch their eye as well so for us as an explorer brand uh valley life was really important to us when we launched that beer valley life is our new england style ipa that we make year round and valley life to us is like what we experience in the hudson valley like when we go hiking we go biking when we are just like literally working i'm an artist as well and when i'm working on paintings staring at the hudson river it's all a part of like the lifestyle that brings in the Hudson Valley. When people come here, there's a lot of breweries now. It's more of like a destination spot. So we want to like encourage like Voyager, go out, seek, 
go out explore and when we're dealing with these names we start from there and then we kind of think what can fit that style so remember it all takes a long time to get registered so a lot of times we'll register a bunch of names and then as we're ready to brew we'll go through our list of um SLA approved names mm -hmm. and then be like oh you know what like for this one we were like you know we went through the names we thought Voyager was a perfect na uh, name for this beer that we were releasing so we kind of go through make a gauntlet of names and then we pull as we need and when that kind of gets depleted we sit down make another batch of names and then we go through it that way I think logistically because we're so small we have the option to be like oh what should we call this one what can we call that for our brew pub but when it comes yeah. to distributing, we have to make sure that everything is properly registered or else like, I don't want to put them in a weird spot where mm -hmm. I'm sending them beer that isn't registered and then they can become liable for something. That's so, fine. We, that's fine, right? That's I'm sure, and I'm sure a lot of breweries just dump beer and they're like, oh, we can't even find this on the paperwork. And it's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll be honest, that was, like, I would say maybe eight years ago, this wasn't as hammered into breweries and the like, relationship, but I think as the government's been cracking down, our distributors are cracking down on the breweries and but really it's like we don't we want to do everything but, in the well, proper way yeah so uh when it comes to the naming of beers we have to consider that and i'm like all right it even comes to the can labels we're like oh we want to release a new can that takes a month for approval so we're already designing cans before the beers even yeah. for, like starting to be brewed because that takes longer than the brewing process a lot of times. Jason, have you had any names from breweries that was not approved? Oh yeah, oh I yeah, have. <laughs> I have. Based off I have, of repeats or just like Volvo? No, I mean or? it's it's. I mean I have beer in the warehouse right now that uh, is like probably gonna get approved tomorrow. Starting business. <laughs> uh, a lot of times it's just a. Uh, it's it's kind of just like uh, the, when the beer's done and the beer's ready, the beer's ready, and we represent breweries from all over the world. Uh, we have beer from uh, every almost every state, yeah. damn near it anyway. I I mean we import beer from South Africa as well, wow. so uh, we we kind of have our hands in a little bit of everything. Yeah. So it's just us having a conversation with the brewery and with the SLA. And when the beer's ready to hit the market, the beer's ready to hit the market. Yeah. And that's kind of like our bag is maintaining uh, the SLA's uh, litigation and their uh, and their laws, so that way everybody's happy and everybody's healthy. But yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the brand and the brewery and when the beer's done and when the beer's gonna be ready. And you know, we just kind of work with uh, our brewers and our breweries to just find the right balance of, of stuff and to make sure that we can put cool things in people's hands. That's really what it comes down to us is yeah. is just like the service aspect of it all, especially if you're a bar owner or a restaurant owner and you have a lot going on in your life, you probably don't need me to add more stress to it. So uh, likewise with the brewery or supplier, if I could, you know, we can kind of take a little bit off everybody's plate and just even it all out, that makes our lives easier too. There is a brewery, I know it shall remain nameless, they did a collaboration with someone. Great beer, came out great. They made another beer and used the same name and sold it that way. And the person they did the collabo with was furious, understandably. Yeah. And the brewery did not understand why. Like, well, this is also a good beer, but this is not our beer. <laughs> this yes, is not the beer yeah. we made together. I can, yeah. I can, to I can totally see that. I, a lot of times, um, 
there a lot of times I'll do I remember one time we brewed a beer with an establishment to give them make them like a house beer for like yeah. that season. Yeah, yeah. And we already had a registered name, we it fit their branding, it fit our like the beer style. We're like, this is what it's gonna be called. And they're like, Well, we wanna call it this and I'm like, Well, the beer's gonna be here in two weeks and there's not enough time to register a brand new name. So what we do is we register it under the proper name and we distribute it under the proper name. And if they want to do a AKA alias. at the yeah. end, the alias, like that's now on that. Right. Yeah. right. As long as I'm cool, they're cool. Like I like, you know, and a lot of times I, and like, I'll add the AKA, whatever they want. So it can match here and there. So things are being checked in. It still makes sense. Yeah. But I have to call that beer on our board, on our menus, what it's registered as. Maybe. So that way we just are covering all the ends. So I'm yeah. like, Hey, if you want to call it, so-and-so, a.k.a. so-and-so at your bar, yeah. that's fine with me. I'm not as, especially when we make something that's collaborative, mm-hmm. I'm not as hung up on the names. Yeah. But a lot of times I feel like people cover their own butts a little bit. Like a, a brewery a brewery friend of ours, they do um, a beer under one title, and this is variations with so-and-so, yeah. with so-and-so. Yeah. You know, And I think that that's kind of the best way for people to logistically handle it, where you can be creative and be spontaneous, but not worry about the government coming in and cracking down on you. Yeah. And we as a brewery don't feel slighted that it's the same name as they did with this other brewery because they are already doing disclaimers that these are different variations. Even a lot of times if it's a bottling, you'll see just like the same name, same label, but just a different color. Yeah. And that's all you need for us to, like for the brewery to feel like this is unique and this is something that we can promote that is identifiable to both our breweries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's do number four. I know we're uh, running out of time because you're open yeah, yeah. soon. I want to. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Yeah, no rush. But this is uh, the last beer we have here is Hidden Track. So, uh, Hidden Track is kind of fun beer for us because uh, years ago we've been doing Simple Sour, our Sour Ale, since we were at the old location. It was technically a, Ber- it's a Berliner Weiss Sour Ale, uh, Simple Sour. We distribute it year round before sours were distributed year round. That's tasty. Yeah. And we do simple sour in a large format. The reason why I mentioned that is because for a long time, we, the only sour beers we were doing was simple sour, was kind of uh, these baseline sour beers. But as sour beers have grown in popularity in the Hudson Valley and New York, we wanted to show a more diverse variation of this beer. So we decided to take what we do for sour beers, fruit the beer, and we've done different styles of sour beers that are fruited. Uh, Hidden Track is a base of Simple Sour that is fruited with, uh, this one is with uh, blood, primarily blood orange with a little bit of raspberry. We've also have done this beer with just raspberry. Hidden Track is one of those ones that we're like, this is a, this one's volume three. We say Hidden Track volume three because this is the third variation of this type of sour. Like we're releasing a Lambic that's been aging since 2015 wow. next wow. week. So that'll be something that... What uh, day? <laughs> that'll be next Friday. That'll be next Friday. We're actually going to uh, be teaming up with, uh, with a cheese company to be doing like a little cheese tasting, like aged cheese, aged beer, right. this type of thing. We try to, on Fridays especially, bring a little bit more funk to the happy hours we do here, kind of get people pumped for the weekend. But uh, when it came to doing fruited sour beers, uh, Hidden Track, and we make another one called Walking Talking Paradise, which potentially will be canned so before good. the end of the year. Uh, we want to still always make these approachable, but also sophisticated. We don't want it to be um, a sour beer that's going to really 
put you on your butt because we want it to be something approachable because since our brewery does kind of feed a very diverse clientele. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily want to put a beer up there and be so aggressive that it's going to kind of be like a palate wrecker in a way. Yeah. Same thing that goes with our IPAs. With all of our IPAs, even right now we have Unique Taste of Millions in cans, it's a 8% double IPA. But if I just put it in your hands, you would never guess it. Yeah, that's you know? not super intrusive on the palate. Oh, it's yeah. not puckering. It's very smooth. And I, I, I don't like the real puckering, like sours. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I it's really like enjoy And I'm not a big sour fan. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But that's delicious. That is really good. I think that our uh, when we started brewing beers uh, and distributing and thinking about the brew pub, and now that we only have our beer here, uh, and but we are a restaurant, and that's such a big component of what we do here. Having the restaurant and having beers that are approachable for eating as well is super important for us. Mm -hmm. When it goes out to an account, restaurant accounts, like that gets me more excited than just a regular bar because I know that if they're utilizing on their food menu, it can be paired beautifully with a lot of different things. Do you find that the peak skill accounts that you have um, are in tune with pairing their beers with their menu items or it, it really depends on, on the on the restaurant or the, the account chef. i mean the yeah. chef uh, there's definitely some some accounts out there that are very very food forward and food centered and that's that's where peak skill comes in in handy especially because they are so in tune with their ingredient list and with the build of each beer that i can sit down with brandon and we can kind of toy around with some ideas to work with the account on cool pairings or just let the chef have his way. Mm -hmm. Then again, one of the things that I really love about Peekskill and that Brandon touched on is that if you come here on any given day of the week, there's a real different kind of crowd of people. Like there's just people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. There's all different sorts of people who patronize Peekskill and love these guys to death for, for very good reason. And you know, guys that you might find you know, just slugging bottles of something domestic at a dive bar will come here and just pound down skills pills and play darts all night. And <laughs> we're a big darts bar. They are. 100%. Okay. We have, we, uh, so we started a mug club. We're in our second year of our mug club. And that has doubled since the first year. We throw two big parties for them. Nice. One in the winter, one in the summer. It's like a whole rooftop thing in the summer. I cook, this summer I cooked like all the Latin food myself. Wow. I, just, I would like, I show my appreciation for the mug club members because they come in day in and day out. And whether or not it's an 80 year old man sitting, drinking simple sour and throwing darts, or it's somebody that's 22 years old that wants to come in and, you know, after working construction all day and drink a skills pills, like I, I want to show them at least a few times a year how valuable they are to not just a, like financially the business, but just like aesthetically the business. Like they treat people that walk through the door like gold. Yeah. They know they're representative of our brand as is our staff. They're here every day. If people hated their guts, they're gonna be like, oh, I'm not going back there. Those guys at the end of the bar were terrible. Like I, I seriously value our regulars as well because I think they are the first ones to be like, oh, you know what you should try is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. They just put a fresh batch of this. Yeah. And it's like, when that comes from the consumer, like when I go to the places and I have the regulars treat me that way, yeah. I'm like, this place is special beyond what I'm seeing on the menu. Yeah. It's like the heart of this place is, I think, what brings people back aside from the awesome beer. Shout out to one of our close friends, Heather Bishop, for being oh, a Mug yeah, Club member. Yeah, yeah. Heather, <laughs> Heather is definitely one of those people. Like, she, she'll come to events. She'll post on the gram, like, when she is. She's the gram. Yeah, she's funny, though, because she's, uh, we were at an event, and I see um, Doug from uh, Beer Noggin, and they're like, 
Uh, and she's like, oh, hello. I'm like, do you know everybody in this industry? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but it's, but it's that type of person that yeah. uh, has been supporting us for a long time that kind of spreads the love. And honestly, it's, it's, it's great seeing all the different uh, the demographic of the Mug Club members because it's funny how, like, they're all so tight now. They all, like, Ed was just golfing our, our, our bartender who's been with us since the uh, old location. He actually helped build this facility. Uh, with uh, Jeff and the owners back in the day, he went golf on a golfing outing with like a bunch of the Mug Club members just the other day. Like they they go to each other's parties, they support each other, and I like you know it's just great to see because before the Mug Club they were always here, but some would sit there, some would sit there. Now that they had this new unifying bond where they see each other's mug on the bar top, they just naturally communicate and now it's become something where after a couple of years of it like they go to each other's birthday parties yeah. and it's like it's just really special to see I, I love the community aspect of what the mug club can bring to our brewery how do you join the mug club somebody's listening um, to so we do we do once a year we do uh, around holiday season we'll do an announcement like the mug club membership is open but we kind of have we have a cap so okay. uh, when people fall out we'll open it up gotcha. again uh, last year was a little bit different because we're trying to fill it up, so it's yeah. a little more open enrollment. Uh, this year, it'll be, you know, there's always some people, like a lot of people are cadets that now are deployed or whatever. Yeah. I will mail them their mug wherever they are and oh, they can have it. You know, nice. not, like, nice. these are their mugs behind the bar. Yeah. I encourage them to leave them here so they're always there. But they paid for them, it's theirs. Um, it's, uh, our membership is 125 for the year. And what that includes is 20 ounce pours for 16 ounce pricing. We have extended weekend happy hour for the Mug Club members. Whatever you do during happy hour during the week, you get Saturdays and Sundays, 4 to 6 p.m. Nice. Uh, we That's do awesome. the two big parties that are uh, pretty epic, uh, huge buffets. Uh, we do bottle sh- kind of bottle sharing in a way. We have two big buckets where brewery friends of ours will give us a bunch of beers to uh, help spread. We'll have... <laughs> The pouring we'll have, ice. Yeah, pouring ice. Uh, getting ready for the day. But we'll, you know, we'll have people that will donate beer for the mug club parties, and I'll go out and to like the Chicos and Sons, and you know, the ownership will give me a company card to go just buy a bunch of fun things to share with everybody. Oh, beautiful. And uh, it just becomes something that's, you know, like again, ties in the community. It makes them a little bit closer. A lot of times they'll see one guy that's new to the mug club that's just sitting there by themselves and they'll get them to come up, hey, play some darts with us. Like, you know, they see certain people that seem a little isolated and bring them in because they know that they were at one point isolated and want to be brought in. So I, I think that a lot of times in the beginning, it's like, oh, it's 125. I'm like, oh, you know, it's a little sleep. But then once they have the two parties, they're like, this is just that alone is well yeah. worth what you're yeah. paying for. Oh, All the other stuff is just added. I think it's something crazy. Like if you have like uh, three beers a week here, you ended up getting like off the 20 ounce pours, you end up getting like 100 free beers a year, something crazy. So you end up like, you know, because of those four extra four ounces, you get every single time you fill up your mug might club, do, you do a little fact checking. Yeah, do a little fact checking. <laughs> do a little fact checking. Hashtag fact checking. Every four beers, you're getting a free one, right? Yeah. Every short sure. beers, you're getting a free yeah. one. So if you're here, like these guys, most of the welcome members are here almost every day. Yeah. So by the time their year comes up, even if we didn't throw the parties, their value is taken into consideration. But uh, I think the parties, what I love about them is that I get a chance to really spoil these guys and take a second while they're always 
kind of showering us with attention. Like I take a second and I take onus, and I'm like, I'm gonna give you guys an awesome experience yeah. just for you guys because you're so awesome. So Dana, Dana and I are moving to Peace, y'all. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Just for the mud pie. Um, Fourth, third floor is open. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna move actually above the brewery. Um, so we ask this question on every episode sure. that we have, um, and we'll start with you. Yeah. Uh, first beer that you have ever tasted in your life. The first. The very first beer that you can beer. remember. Like yeah. you were eight, Jesus. you still live in your dad. It could be Miller High Life. It could be. It was. Uh, it was probably, uh, honestly, Course and Dunk because my dad loved drinking Course and Dunk for about a year. So ex- explain shit. to our fan it's base about Course and Dunk because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like this is a first ever on my first yeah, beer. I, I, I don't know. My dad, oh my, my dad only drinks Henry's Hard Soda now. He's all over the place. <laughs> he was, he didn't. He does, my That's family's not amazing. big drinkers, so I definitely let them down. But you know. um, no, Course and Dunk is uh, it, it's a, it's a pretty awesome uh, imported Belgian beer. Okay, uh, it's you know a little dry, crisp, it's golden. Uh, it, it's so beautiful that was your beer, but I, I hated it. Beer. I hated every. How old second. were you? Uh, sixteen. Did he give it to you, or were you like, oh, let me just taste this? I, I was hanging out with my family at, like, a barbecue, and he was, and they were trying to get a laugh out of me, so they were like, oh, I'll try this. My dad drinks margaritas and Henry's hard soda, so, I mean, it's 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 a weird life. It's a very weird life. I want to life. meet your dad. That's yeah, I, that's, yeah. All right, Brandon. Um, well, I'm going to preface this. My dad is an executive chef at the uh, Copacabana. Has been, I am jealous. Been, been there since the 80s. So, wow. like, I always had, like, great liquor and beer and stuff are available but my family you know i'm latin they all drink coronas okay. but oddly enough it was a heineken because i still remember yes. this we would um i remember my uncle's playing dominoes my dad's one of 11 okay. so there's a massive when we get together it's a huge party i remember me and my cousins one in particular was underneath the table just swiping heineken's down oh, and then sneaking nice. it to, the, to my grandmother's bedroom we all just like trying beer real quick <laughs> but i remember heineken was the first beer of our primary but I'm pretty sure it's either the, it has to either be that or a Corona because that's what was always available. If it wasn't yeah. Heineken, it was a Corona. Okay. Yeah, awesome. but uh, it's funny because I didn't I didn't realize how awesome my dad's liquor collection was until I got older. Yeah. And you realize how expensive some of these bottles are. And he's like, oh yeah, I got this for free from some event. And I was like, as you get older, you're like, Dad, let me, you know. <laughs> that's like, let me but that when bottle. I was younger, it was like, you know, I it, my house was just full of Heineken and Coronas. Do you guys do you guys remember your first craft beer experience? Yeah. Kind of yeah. like that got you like hooked or like got me hooked. Definitely got me hooked is what I mentioned before with Castazilla in okay. Ithaca's. But uh, my first craft beer was probably uh, yeah, it was probably Magic Hat Number Nine when I was living in Boston because okay. that was to me like you know you're in college you're you know you're scraping your dollars together that was the first one somebody brought a six pack of that and i was like oh this is fancy yeah and yeah. i remember i still remember even when i had my first like taste of like ipas and stuff like that that was like so floral. it's funny to think about how floral an ipa can yeah. feel like for the first time mm-hmm. you have one and it's like you know now when i think of it it's like insane yeah. i was like oh my god it tastes like flowers it's like yeah. potpourri <laughs> and then you're like Ooh, as you're, yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that was definitely i feel like that my first craft beers experiences were definitely that when i was about you know in like 2004 something like that when I just graduated high school. Your first yeah. was also Corson Dunk. So I guess, I guess technically, I don't know. My first American craft was Magic Hat Number no. 9 as well. I, I remember drinking that like a little bit in college again when we could scrape a little bit more money right. than a 30 rack at PBR. And uh, it was like that and um, uh, 
probably like Raging Bitch. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, those are like some of the first yeah, like yeah. earliest ones I remember. Trogues, I remember drinking a lot in college too. Yeah, Again, yeah. when I had money after all the other uh, all the after all the is Magic Cat still around? I don't see. It yes, in, is it? Yeah, it it's was still such a huge thing at one point, and I don't really see it anymore. That's uh, I, and that's there's definitely like the OG brands. And yeah, that is an OG. That's legacy to death. Yeah, it's up there with like. Yeah, they, they've been around. Whenever for, I'm in New England, though, you see it pop. You see it all over the place. Right now, I think the New York mar- New York itself state makes such great beer right now yeah. that there's bars popping else. up like uh, like <laughs> yeah. my boy Stephen, who owns uh, Cardiff Giant in Brooklyn. All New York craft beers, all New York craft liquors, and I think that uh, you're seeing more and more that come up because you can make an entire menu just on New York beers yeah, now. It's so it's not nuts. like Magic Hat does. I'm sure they make awesome beers, but I think that's just left. Less shelf space yeah, from yeah. Uh, outside state breweries. New Where, York is such a local centric market too. I mean, we've even seen. I've been with Craft for two and a half, almost three years now, and I've watched the. When I started, the market was a hundred percent different, and now everything's kind of pivoted towards mm-hmm. local centric, which is cool because you can you can run like Brandon said a yeah. menu that's like two to six hours from where you're sitting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's there's bars that are doing that on the River Towns right now, which is pretty sick. Yeah. And you can't say that in a lot of places. Like, I was in Austin, Texas last year, and it was not like that. Yeah. It's, it's funny, though, because you, I, like, when I walk into a place that has such great food, such great cocktails, I'm like, why are your beer, like, you don't have a single brewery on here from New York State. Yeah. Like, I don't even, like, sure, I'd love you to have Peaksco Brewery beer, 100%, but it's just, like, as somebody who's going out for dinner, right. I'm like, oh, man, like, you, you, don't, even got Captain, you don't even have Captain Lawrence here? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, like, certain yeah. point, you're like, they're like, oh, that's crazy. I just feel like at times, there's still, like, a little bit of education that needs to be done, where if you're spending all this money on your food, spending all this money on your cocktail ingredients, why wouldn't you give them a superior beer experience as well? I just, um, I, it's so, like, for yeah. me, I always get, like, you know, it bothers me a little bit. I, I feel like more more now than ever, you're starting to see places like that. Usually, it's, like, an older, like, you'll see this in, in old school steakhouses that have been around for forever, or just restaurants that have just been in communities for a long time where beer was always a second, third, or fourth option after wine, after right. cocktails, right. after right. spirits That's straight, right. yeah. or something like that. And now it's it, you have a lot of places that are starting to adopt a mentality of, oh, beer's not just a thing you right. bring in for your grandpa who, right. who you know, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a movement. It's a move. anyway, it truly so. is a movement. As long as, they, a lot of people are like us, they'll dismiss the craft beer movement because they're not into it or whatever. Like, it's an absolute movement. It's well, crazy. That's what Peace Guild does great is that it's super inclusive here. Mm-hmm. And it, and their community with the Mug Club and all that other stuff is super inclusive. And uh, especially lately with anybody who's in the industry and sees all the, the stuff that comes down the pipeline and all the you know hot takes and stuff like that, the community definitely has a potential to be very exclusive. And that's not what it's about at all. Yeah. It was never supposed yeah. to be like that. It was never about, you know, I'm on the inside because I go to every hype can release and I pay mules to wait in lines. It was always about just like people coming together over something that was unique and cool and and in the best case is local. Yeah, 100%. I think when we do, like it's funny because when we, the way we treat our package and our draft is so that way we can spread it out. Like a lot of places focus on, I need, I want a line out the door, sell out of all the cans we made that day, we'll see you next week. 
and we didn't and that's not what we are it's not what peak school brewery is it's not what we want to represent well, yeah. we want it to be an, an average like an everyday man type of brewery yeah. and i think that when you have that culture of long and believe me i know i get it the long lines and you want to wait and there's a lot of culture on that yeah. line bottle sharing i i totally get all that a lot but of we try on that line yeah too. but yeah but it's but also it's Different. you want i want people to not feel so stressed about getting unique taste of millions, you know? We'll yeah. put some out in the market so it can be at your local bottle shop, but we want you to come in here and grab it and have, be able to take it to go when you come in for lunch. Like, I don't want, like, I think I see other places like Grimm and other places that produce enough beer that they want it to not be, I guess, as, as strict with, like, case limits and all these things. You just, just show up and grab a beer if you want a beer. That's kind of what I, we want as a brewery to represent, you know? And everybody has a different model, but for us, like, that's our clientele for the most part. We want to kind of cater to them. Yeah. For people that don't know, where are we located right now? Where is the brewery? Uh, so right now, the brewery is located at 4753 South Water Street in Peekskill, New York, directly across the street from the Peekskill train station, which is on the Poughkeepsie train station line. If you're coming out from the city or you want to come up, uh, and travel from Poughkeepsie down. So the Hudson Line. Now. You're on the Hudson the Line. The Hudson Line. The Hudson Line, but it's the Poughkeepsie train line, no? It's the Hudson, Hudson Line, and it terminates in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. And it terminates in okay. Poughkeepsie. So, uh, so everybody, so you can literally get off the train, cross the street, and you'll be right here. And what's cool is the MTA is great about drinking on the train. Right. So if you're in the area, you're going to jump on the train, or you're here, and you're leaving and want something to go, uh, the train ride down to the city takes about 45 minutes to an hour, and that's the perfect time to crush a crowler. That's my train here? beer. Yeah. Our, so we're, open, we're actually open seven days a week. Um, we open at noon, and we primarily close around midnight. Um, the food oh, wow. service ends at 10, but, um, you know, if it's if it's crazy busy, they'll stay open a little bit later than midnight, but usually that's kind of the, Those are the time hours. we close. Yeah, you know, because we're a restaurant and we want to kind of yeah. run restaurant bar hours, yeah. not necessarily brewery hours. Uh, most breweries I know are open like three or four days a week right. and they're open from like, you know, four until like nine. Right. We want to make sure that we're accessible and that, you know, we're a destination spot and you don't have to like check your phone and see if we're open. Like come in afternoon, 99% unless it's like Christmas or we're at a staff outing, like we will be open. Do we have any events coming up? That you like uh, yes, yes. The big event that we're doing, it's our 11-year anniversary um, at, uh, on October 19th. So uh, we're going to be shutting down the block outside the brewery. We're going to have bands. Nice. Uh, we have right now signed up five food trucks. And uh, we have a bunch of, we have like bounce houses and games for kids. We have adult games. Uh, last year we did like, you know, the sumo costumes nice. and all these things. That's we awesome. try to bring fun activities for all ages. We'll have the live music, food, uh, obviously lots of beer, beer tents, guest beers. But uh, whenever we do these uh, block parties or anniversary parties, it's definitely like a community event. Uh, we want to make sure that it's family friendly. It's going to run from 2 p.m. until 10 p.m. Okay. And uh, yeah, we encourage you to come on out and uh, enjoy yourselves. Beautiful. Well, we want to thank you guys for, for uh, coming on the show today. Thank, thank you, you for your, thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you for your hospitality and of delicious course. suds, right? Um, <laughs> if you guys are thirsty for more, Dana, where can they listen to us? Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Radio Public. And that's it. And take a break. So everywhere. Okay. All right. So guys, come up to Peekskill Brewery. It is an amazing time. Uh, ask for the historian of Peekskill Brewery, Brandon. <laughs> he will tell you everything you need to know about this awesome establishment. 
uh, and you can enjoy these very tasty beers and awesome uh, Ooh, small bites and larger bites, uh, which we're probably going to uh, enjoy right Be now. Be hungry. So we will talk to you guys soon. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye.